Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, We are in week four of a message series that we titled Jesus People. How many are liking the message series? Um, and, and throughout it, we're, we're grabbing excerpts, uh, little snippets, little scenes uh, from a TV show called The Chosen, and uh, we're utilizing that, and that's just the Chosen TV series. It's just a good visual. You know, I, I think personally, if Jesus was alive today walking the planet, I think he would probably be a filmmaker. Uh, he was just a master storyteller. He told all these stories and parables, and the reason he did, he was, he was giving them something that they could see and touch and taste, and he was telling them, this is, this is a little snippet of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so as we're going through this, uh, we're utilizing uh, some of the series, just little scenes, little snippets out of it, just to kind of help carry home the point uh, that we're trying to make in, in, in the sermon. And so uh, today, we're going to take a look at one of the scenes, actually the same scene we looked at last week, and it's Jesus calling his early disciples. So Jesus, at this time, I'll give you the quick backstory. Uh, you know, uh, sacred and secular historians alike agreed that there was a man named Jesus who walked the face of the planet, that he came from an area called Nazareth. It was up in the Galilee region of northern Israel. And, uh, and he, would, he would live and, and he would die, and he would die a, a brutal death where he was crucified, but three days later he rose again. And that's undisputed. There's, there, you, there, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses, many of whom gave their lives because they so believe, like, I saw Jesus, I touched him, I ate a meal with him, my life was transformed by him, I am not going to renounce him. And so because they wouldn't renounce of him, many died a death similar to what Jesus did and died on a cross, some of them crucified upside down because they thought, I'm not worthy to die the same death that Jesus did, crucify me upside down. These people were so convinced that they spent time with Jesus. And so at this stage, this clip that we're going to watch, when Jesus calls his early disciples, he's 30 years old. Uh, he's just beginning his public ministry. Jesus, one of the things he said, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And in those days, you couldn't be a, a Jewish rabbi until you were 30 years old because they thought at that time you had enough life experience, you had enough skill, you've studied enough, you've proved yourself worthy enough where now you can be called a rabbi. So here this is radical rabbi and he rocks up onto the scene, and he, and, he, and he comes up, and he's teaching, and he's got a huge mound of, uh, group of people that are following him, and he's on the seashores of the Sea of Galilee. And so as he's talking to them, they're all around him, and, uh, and he looks over, and he's like, I need, to, I need some space here. So he looks out on the lake, and there's some boats that are there. Some fishermen just got done with all their work. They worked all night long, and here they are. They're just cleaning their nets. And he says, hey, can I borrow one of your boats? And they say, sure, go ahead. And so he climbs into one of the boats and, and he continues to teach. And then at the end of it, uh, he kind of dismisses people. And then he turns to Simon, who later became the disciple that we know as Peter. And he says, uh, hey, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon says, he, he says this in Luke chapter 5, verse 5. He says, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We worked all night. And, and we got nothing. And then he kind of, I could just imagine him just kind of taking a pause and going like, this stinking rabbi, okay. But at your word, I'll go ahead and obey you, and I'm gonna let down my nets. And for us, one of the lessons here that you can garner from this story is oftentimes our faith is tested before it's rewarded. Some of us, we want the reward and we don't want to have any tests. And we think if we get tested in our faith, then suddenly there's some big attack from the devil. <laughs> you know, Oftentimes your faith is just simply tested just to see, are you, are you really going to, can I really entrust you? Are you going to do what you said you're going to do? Can I, can I trust this to you? And so we're going to go ahead and roll the clip here of uh, the Chosen series. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. Mm. 
All right. That's your word. You are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. So, you sure you don't want to do this just a few more times? Oh, well, we'll make a great team on the boat. Son, joking. Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. 
<laughs> Come on, how great is that? Is that beautiful or what? So I titled this message, The Great Commission and the Great Provision. And the, 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 the big idea is this. Uh, provision always follows those who are consumed with the Great Commission. Just follows them. Provision always follows those that are consumed with, with the Great Commission. And yeah, I, I love how Jesus is talking to him. And he starts out using his boat, but it was so much more. And question I would have for us today is, can God use your boat? Could God use what you do for a living? Could he step into your world? Could he use your boat? And is there anything that he's telling you to walk away from that you're still holding on to? For my life, when I got saved, I needed somebody to come alongside of me and kind of help sort out some things that I needed to walk away, away from. You know, Paul talks about, you know, hey, there's sins that so easily beset us. Watch out for those sins. There's certain things in all of our lives that it kind of feels like there's a pull to go back to that thing that God's called us to walk away from. So I have a few key thoughts today. Last week, we really focused on the calling of the disciples. Today, I wanna focus on the catch. I wanna talk about the miracle provision of God and how he provides for his people. And as I, as I prayed about this weekend and, and prayed for all of you, one of the things that I just felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me over and over again to pray on is to pray against fear that many of you might be feeling when you look at the landscape of the world and what's going on. And how many know that fear is a spirit? <laughs> fear is a spirit. And we don't serve the God of fear. We serve the God who owns everything, who holds everything in his hand. And what Satan's biggest trick is that he always tries to get us to do is to take our eyes off of God and look at the things going on in this world. And he wants to lie to you and tell you you're not going to have enough, you're not going to be enough, etc. And I want to show you some things in the scriptures that encourage us with that thought, that the key thought, number one, is that Jesus' people experience supernatural provision for the purpose of the Great Commission. Now, this catch was one of two mega catches uh, that kind of bookend the ministry of Jesus' mi uh, public ministry. So uh, Jesus calls his disciples, and we just saw the catch that he had. And then towards the end of his ministry, three and a half years later, before he ascends into heaven, there's another miracle catch. We'll, we'll get to a little bit later. But on this miracle catch that you saw, knowing what we know about the size of the fishermen's boats, knowing what we know about the average price of wages and the selling of fish in the marketplace, knowing what we know of what it would have taken to nearly sink two boats, there's been research that had been done by people who penciled out and figured out how much was that catch worth? You know, like I, I, love, I love the uh, artistic liberty they took where Peter's like, hey, do you want to do this a few more times? <laughs> like, you know, this is pretty good. You know, you and me, we can team up. We can be like best fishermen on all the Sea of Galilee, right? You know, and Jesus is like, come on, we're going to be fishing for people, you know. But Academia Research Group was one, and you can look this up if you'd like to on your own. I won't bore you with their full details. It was like a 18-page document of research that they did. But based on the size of the boats that you see there and the size of the fishermen's boats back then, they were about 30 feet long. They were about eight feet wide and five feet deep, okay? So if it's 30 feet long, eight feet wide, five feet deep, they, and, and if those boats were about to sink, which is what the text actually reads, if you read that story, those boats were about to sink based on displacement and everything else and the weight that it would have taken to, to cause them to sink, the miracle catch would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 62,696 pounds of fish. Okay, that's a lot of fish. Some of you are going like, okay, like, like you lost me when you started doing math, you know, like, and I, I get that, right? Summer break for the kids, right? You know, so what, what does that represent? At the labor rate of fish prices back during Jesus' time, this would give the fishermen somewhere between each of them, mind you, each of them, 12 to 15 years worth of wages in that one catch that you just saw, depending on the quality of fish. 
And I'm kind of on the opinion that if it's a miracle catch a fish and the Messiah brought it into the boat, it's probably going to be some good fish, right? It's not going to be some lame fish nobody wants to eat. I think he probably brought to the surface the choicest fish that were in the Sea of Galilee, right? But this is one miracle moment, one act of obedience, by the way, from Peter. At that time, his name was Simon. One simple act of obedience, one simple act of saying, all right, but at your word, Rabbi, I'm gonna go ahead and let, just one yes to Jesus, and boom, just look what he could do. And, and, and here's the big idea for our lives. When we get consumed about the things that are on his heart, it's amazing the provision that follows us. Uh, my testimony, some of you have heard it, but uh, m- my wife and I, it's, it's January 23rd, 2019. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It's winter time, and we're living in Texas, and it's cold. Like, it's another degree of cold and dry cold. It's in the teens, and I'm sitting in front of my fire. It's 1030 at night. Kids are in bed, and I'm, I'm just having time with God. I have my Bible open, and I'm just reading and just having time, quiet time with the Lord. And the Lord dropped in my heart, boom. And I, I, all of a sudden, I felt like my, my, my pen just starts to write, man. And the Lord just get, begins to download. And when I say the Lord gave me a download, it was like an impression on my mind and my thoughts that I knew was not Jeff. Like I knew, I knew this, was, this, this was not me, this is God. And I began to write as fast as I could in my journal, which I still have. Thank God I kept it. And, and I began to write, and, and the Lord said, he said, um, no longer are revival or resources gonna come from the Midwest out, but from the coastal regions in. And he said that there's a revival coming. And, 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 and as he spoke to me, and, and I'm writing, I see this picture of waves crashing into the, into the shore. And he, he says, I'm establishing beachheads along the coastal regions of the United States. And then here was the come follow me moment. He said, would you go take up a beachhead? Now, we're living in Texas at the time. We got a business that's crazy, supernaturally blessed, rocking and rolling. My whole family's there, and I'm like, we're moving back to California. Like, I just know we're moving back to, and I have no idea. And we've traveled, we used to live in Ventura, California for a season, but we never spent any time down here. But I, 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 I said yes, and so what I did is I talked to my wife, and she confirmed, she goes, I feel like this is God. And, I, and so then we, we sent a text out to some just key leaders and pastors who've been in our lives for years that know us. We said, hey, we're praying about this. Uh, this is what I felt like the Lord tell me. Does this resonate with you? Do you guys see any, any, any blind spots in this? And every one of them came back and said, yes, 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 this is God. You need to do this. The time is now. So I'm like, all right, here we go. So we, in, in that week, we said yes. And so we, we start meeting and talking with people and kind of start figuring out what would it look like to plant a church and where and all this kind of stuff. Within that month of saying yes, but at your word, Lord, doesn't make sense. My whole family's here, our business is here, life is here, but at your word. Within that first month, in my business that we owned, I signed a contract with a company knocking doors and I'd, sometimes I would knock literally as a, we had a, a roofing construction company and when it's slow, I was the guy as the owner going around knocking doors and saying hi to people, whether it was 20 degrees out or 100 degrees out in Texas heat. I'm working crazy hours and I happen to walk up to this one door and knock on the door and the guy answered and I kind of do my, my, my pitch, my sales spiel, if you will, and uh, tell him I'd be honored to you know, serve him and give him a free you know, estimate and take a look at his property. And he says, you know, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, I'm not a guy that believes in coincidence, but today I was just thinking, I need to have somebody give us an inspection because there's been some storms that came through. He goes, that's crazy. And you're here on my doorstep right now. And I'm thinking like, I hope this guy signs my contract today. You know. <laughs> well, long story short, he said yes. And that project, that contract of all the hundreds of doors that I had knocked, that door and that guy saying yes actually paid for our entire uh, first year of living when we moved here to California. One contract, one door knocked after hundreds of doors being knocked. You just never know when you say yes to the things of God, the crazy stuff that he'll start to do in and through your hands. When we live open-handed as Christians, yeah, it's amazing. God, God seems to love those people that they want to do his work but not get any of the credit, like they could care less. Those people that are like, whatever the Lord gives them, they don't look at it as it's mine, right? They look at it as it's his, and whoever you want me to give this to, I will, I'm just going to be a steward. 
And if you are consumed with the Great Commission, that provision will always find you. But the point is this. You and I, we all have a boat, right? We have a boat. We have uh, your retirements in the boat, your 401ks in your boat, your stock portfolio. It's not at the bottom of the ocean yet, okay? It's still in your boat, right? Crypto, that might be in the bottom of the ocean, but it's still. (laughs) Your family's in your boat. Your kids are in your boat. Your marriage is in your boat. The house you want to buy or the house you did buy, that's part of your boat. And, 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 And so we all can, we're kind of sometimes we can become consumed with our boat, and, and, and Jesus is like, I get it. And I'm gonna take care of your boat. But if you're so focused on your boat that you miss my calling, then it becomes about your boat and not my mission. And when it becomes about our boat and what we want or we need, and we're like, Lord, help me, Jesus. And our prayers can be consumed with our boat. We can be like, Lord, fix my boat. God, give me a new boat. Uh, God, help this boat. I don't want to sink this boat. I need your help in this boat. When we get so focused on our boat, our boat, our boat, our boat, God's up there and he's like, I'm going to fix your boat. But if you can be consumed with the things that consume my heart, those things start to take care of themselves. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this. This is later on in the story, and Jesus has got his motley crew of disciples that are following him, and, and he says this. He says, you guys, nobody can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one, and you're going to despise the other. And he makes this phrase, and he says this, this word here. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Remember that word. We're going to come back to it. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 6, 31, he says, therefore... Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Verse 32, for after all these things, the Gentiles, and in that time, the Gentiles were those that did not, they weren't serving God. They, they, they were serving their own interests or different gods. He says, after all these, that's the gent, that's what they seek after. But you, as children of God, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And then this, and let's say it together, verse 33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other stuff, all that stuff just kind of takes care of itself. When you're passionate, when you're seeking after the things of God, when you're using your gift and your talents to serve others and to reach people that don't know, when you're, when you're consumed with that thought that there is actually a real heaven and there actually is a real hell, and if this person that's standing in front of me does not have a relationship with Jesus, they're not going to heaven. When you're consumed with that thought, when that, when that becomes your mission, when his mission becomes your mission, then you're co-missioned, you're co-laborers with Christ to do the things that he's called us to do this side of heaven. When you begin to go with that mindset, it's amazing the things that God drops into your lap. It's amazing the divine appointments that he seems to lead you on. My wife and I, we were uh, blessed. Our family was blessed with an incredible vacation to kind of kick off our summer back in June. And we get to this uh, beautiful resort and it's like one of those all-inclusive places, right? And we're just, everybody's just like, wow, and my kids are freaking out. They get like, they can eat anything at any hour, whatever they want. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like, you ever seen the movie Yes Day? Just, just imagine that for like a week. That's kind of what our week was like, you know? And, and we go there and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm turning my phone off. Fawn's turning her phone off and we're just gonna have a week just with our kids. And, uh, and, and I just want to focus on them and, and just connect with them. And, of course, we sit down next to the, in, in the pool. And, and, of course, my wife starts striking up a conversation with some stranger. And I'm like, babe, I just I don't want to talk to all these people that are here. You know, and I just want to talk to us, you and I. I want to be kind of like antisocial for a week. But my wife is so like Jesus, you know. She really is. And she's chumming it up with this woman. Well, she ends up having a conversation with a gal that grew up in Russia that actually knew nothing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. She grew up under communist rule, and you you weren't allowed to be a Christian, so they weren't Christians. She'd heard about it, and they had moved to the States, and they live in in San Francisco. And and so anyway, so, you know, my, you know, uh, my... 
my attitude got softened a little bit when I finally met the woman and we get to talk and we went to dinner a couple times with her and her daughter. They were there on vacation and we've stayed in touch with them. But it's so cool the questions that she asked over dinner a couple nights and at the end of our vacation we were able to pray with her and, and her daughter and they're probably going to come down and visit us sometime before summer's over. And uh, it's just so beautiful but if I would have just been focused and if Fawn would have been just focused on just us and our boat, we would have missed a piece. And I'm not saying you can't turn your phone off and you shouldn't, you should totally do all that stuff. I encourage you to do it. But I'm just saying in the midst of all the stuff, when we get too focused on our boat, we can miss the people that God wants to bring around us. And so the key thought number two is this, Jesus people are focused on being faithful stewards, not successful owners. Faithful stewards, not successful owners. Okay, when our kids were little, like, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty good at sharing right now, but when they were little, there was this thing that we heard, this word that came out, and it was mine, 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 right? It's like that scene in the, uh, I think it's, what is it, Finding Nemo, and all the seagulls are like, mine, 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 you know? And when you got, you know, we have five kids, there were four that were little, and they're all saying mine, like, I'm ready to explode as a dad. And I'm like, take all their toys and give it away. You're not going to have any toys, and we'll see how thankful and grateful you are for the one stinking toy I'm going to let you keep, you know what I mean? And so it's just like, mine, 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 mine. And, 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 and if we get focused on the mine, 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 like that's, that's my car, that's my stuff, that's, my, that's mine, it's mine, it's mine, then, then, we, then we miss it. I remember Fawn and I, we, we were, uh, you know, we, we get married and, and somehow I inherited her like lame car and she got my nice car. I don't know what happened there when we got married, but suddenly it was just the more convenient car for her to use and it was the nicer one, you know. So, and, then, um, and then we had moved into our, our first house and we're loving it and her dad gave us his old truck and we're having, and it's cool. And everybody, I just kind of, I'm a truck guy and I just kind of feel like if you can, man, get a truck. Like, there, I think every, every guy just needs a truck, you know? Which, by the way, men, you, you, you're like a truck. You, men function best when you're carrying a load. When you're weighed down a bit, that's when men, that's, you're designed for that, right? So don't shy away from that stuff. So we had this truck, man, and it was awesome. And there was a, there was a, a, a single mom that had three boys, and uh, they were awesome. And, and the Lord uh, knitted our hearts together and kind of used me to speak into their lives when they were young men and kind of coming up through the ranks. Their names were Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, right? You got no choice when you got names like that. In the name of Jesus, you're going to serve him, right? <laughs> That's what we do as Christians. We name our kids some patriarch name. You're like, you're going to serve Jesus, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So the boys are growing up, and they're learning how to drive. They were in our wedding, and everything is cool. And they get, they get older, and they're learning how to drive. Well, uh, you know, our friend, she's amazing, but she just didn't have the funds for a second car or whatever. And I remember the Lord told me, you can give him a car. And I'm like, yeah, but we got two cars in Dad's truck that he gave us. And the Lord's like, yeah, give him the truck. And I'm like, oh, but, but Lord, it's a truck. <laughs> like, it's not some crappy car. Like, this is a truck, man. It's awesome, you know. I was like, give it to him. So I'm like, Phew. so I told Fawn, and we're like, let's do it. So we gave, gave that truck away, and, you know, and it was such a blessing to them. And I told them, like, hey, take it. If you, if you want to take it and just sell it and buy whatever you want to buy, like, I just want you to be released. Like, this is just for you guys and to be a blessing, you know, to you. And I'm telling you, like, like that moment, like, sparked something inside of me where it's like, I don't want to hold on to anything. Like, like I, want, I, want to be, I want to be the kid where my heavenly father, my dad, can just say, hey, son, you know that person there? I think you should, I think you should give him that. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do it, dad, you know? Whether it's a car or a truck or whatever else, we've done our best to try to live open-handed, but the amazing thing is, the more you give away, it's the more you get. We got blessed with another car later on. We gave that car away. Somebody else blessed us with another one. We gave that one away. And then um, the car that I'm driving now, somebody gave to me. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. And this isn't like the message where it's like, give away a car and you'll get a car. That's not, the, that's not the title of this message, just to be clear, for any of you super analytical prosperity preachers are evil. Those guys, you know, like I'm not saying that, okay? This isn't give a car away, get a car type of, but Romans 8.32, let's move on, okay? Romans 8.32 says this, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Like your needs are gonna be met. 
And there's this, there's this, there's this ridiculous, ugly um, concept that's rampant in the body of Christ, this prosperity thing, where it's like, if you give in the offering today, you're gonna be blessed. And if you sow this seed, then you're gonna reap. And there is, there's a law of sowing and reaping, right? That's a law, right? That's, that's, that's unchanged. You will sow and you reap, whether you're serving Jesus or not. There's people that sow and reap all the time. Good and bad, by the way, you can sow good things or, and reap good things, or you can sow bad things and reap bad things. But the point is this, that if you treat everything that you own as if it's God, it's pretty amazing what he'll place in your hand. Here at Authentic Church, we have a, a culture card, which if you don't have one of those, I encourage you, we have them at the Connect table. And um, our culture card has uh, some authentic attributes. We have things that are kind of maybe our unique characteristics, right? Like we're presence-driven, we got a heart for uh, Israel, we believe in women in ministry, those types of things, some unique characteristics, those are part of our attributes. And then we have leadership standards. So if somebody wants to know, hey, what kind of standards do you hold people in leadership to in this house? You can see those written out. And then we have 10 core values. Core value for us is if you cut us, this is what we believe, okay? It's not aspirational. No, this is actually, this is who we are. And, and one of our core values is generosity. And the axiom that goes on with that is that we, we are people who live open-handed, and it says this, we believe everything belongs to God, so we cheerfully give and steward our time, talents, and resources. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not a fan. That's one of the reasons here at Authentic Church, you're, we don't pass the buckets. Uh, unless the Lord speaks to us and tells us to take up an offering for such and such type of a deal, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of passing the buckets. I hate manipulation, and I've seen it when I've gone to different churches, and maybe you have too. Um, but I, I just can't stand that stuff because I don't think that's the heart of God. I think I, for us, it's from day one, we've always been open-handed and we've just said, okay, Lord, we're gonna pray and we're gonna obey. We're gonna obey what your word says and we're also gonna pray and say, Lord, what else, is there anything else that you want us to do? Is there anything with my talents, my, the, what, what I'm good at, my, my boat? God, is there, is there any way, is there anything in my boat that could be a blessing to somebody else in their boat? You know? So we've just tried to, you know, our, our, our motto is just pray and obey. And so when we do that, the beautiful thing is as we do that as a community of faith, our needs are always met. Every need that we've had, it always gets met. And that's the same for, for not just our church, but it's same for our individual lives, our personal lives. So Jesus, uh, I mentioned earlier, he said, hey, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. It's one of the few times where Jesus really was strong on serving God and showed the difference if you were to serve something else. It's like you got two choices here. You can either serve God or serve mammon. And mammon, in some translations you might read in your Bible, it says riches. And that's partially true. It's, it, that's, that's true, but you gotta understand the context. When Jesus said mammon, you gotta understand the context of what he was saying. So the spirit of mammon, it's only mentioned four times in the Bible, three times by Jesus. He talks about it in Matthew 6 and then also in Luke chapter 16. So mammon, it, it, it's correct in the fact that it's the Aramaic word for riches. So I'll just cover that. But it's so much more. When Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, he's actually talking about the spirit behind it. So uh, it's, 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 a, uh, it's a word, it's, it's, a, it's an Aramaic word that's from, a, it's a Syrian name. Uh, that actually refers to the God of riches. So back then, when you, when you lived in that area, and there were, people would worship different gods, right? So uh, for instance, your husband and wife, you're married, you wanna have kids, you would pray to their fertility God, and then that fertility God would help you get pregnant. That's what they believed. That's a false God, by the way, little, little G. We serve the big G, okay? So, so they would pray to the fertility God, help, help us get pregnant, and they would give offerings to the fertility God at the temple and all this kind of stuff, and they believed that that would help them get pregnant. Uh, if, if, and you're a farmer and you own crops, then you would go and pray to the, to, to, to the God that oversees like the rain and, and the weather and, and everything like that, praying that rain would come in your crops and you would offer to that God. And then if you needed something else, you'd go over to this God and you'd you know pay and give money and do sacrifices and offerings to go to that God. Are you following me, right? Well, the God of riches for the Syrians was the God of mammon. So Jesus is saying there's, there's a spirit of mammon or there's a spirit of God. You can't serve both. 
You're gonna hate the one and love the other. You're gonna love this one and you're gonna hate that one. And if you have success, you're gonna think it's from that one when it's really from this one. And so he tells them, you cannot serve both. So, um, and this all comes, this Syrian name, it actually goes back through Babylon. And if you remember, Babylon is from where the Tower of Babel was, right? If you're like Babylon, you know, the Tower of Babel, they babbled on, right? And so uh, the Tower of Babel in uh, Genesis 11.4, they're building this tower, and they say this in Genesis 11.4. It said, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, so Babylon, as the city rose up after the Tower of Babel, that area is where they would worship in the Assyrian God and where they would worship the God of riches, the God of mammon. So it all came from that. And so in, in Babylon, the Hebrew word for Babel actually means confusion. The Hebrew word for Babel actually, and so Babel, and then on is to sow. Uh, you're gonna plant, I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna put this on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sow this here. So it literally means sown in confusion. Babylon, sown in confusion. So here's the point. When we are serving God and then we have a, a kind of a fork in the road where we have to make a decision. And we can either make a decision based on the principles that we find in his word or we can make based on money or the principles of this world. We have a choice, two choices, to serve God or that other spirit of mammon. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. What does that tell us? If Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters, that's telling me that a second master is looking for someone to serve him. That spirit of mammon wants us to serve him. Any, anybody ever been in a financial pinch ever in your life? <laughs> like everybody, right? You know? Okay, here's the thought that can go through our head as Christians. It's, it's, it's probably something like this, and I'm not gonna call anybody up or embarrass anybody, but have you ever had this thought, Lord, I really need you to come through, or God, I, I, I really need more money? right? We have that thought sometimes. If you've been in a financial hardship, it's like, Lord, either you need to come through or I just need more money. That's the God of mammon. The God of mammon actually can lead people to do things from a financial perspective, even in giving in church, like I shared that story about the manipulating you know, pastor or preacher, or evangelist or whatever, that's like, do this and you're going to get this, that whole, that whole concept. That's, that, if, if you go to the root of that, that's actually sown from the spirit of mammon. Because it doesn't say God is the provider of all things. This is no, actually money is gonna make you happy. God's like, no, no, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the author of happiness. I'm the author of real joy. Mammon always wants us to worship. And I notice that people that are most under the influence of mammon are the ones more fearful about money. And, and I'll be honest with you. You know, running a company and all those, I mean, I had some, we had some lean times. We had some good times. I shared with you the story of a good time, right, with the project that paid for our first year of living expenses when we moved to California. We also had some lean times in the Peterson house, right, where you're eating mac and cheese or you're fasting, and you're not, it's, it's not by choice, you know. It's like you're fasting because there's no food in the cupboards. We've gone through those lean times. But our needs ended up always be covered when we always, when we put God first. But I, I had times where I was like, God, I just need more money. And he's like, no, you don't. Money is not gonna solve your challenges. I'm the only one that can, you think it's money. And I'm gonna teach you, Jeff, that it's not about the money. And he would allow me to go through difficult situations financially to show me, remind me, it's not about the money. It's all about me. It's just a different, different perspective. The spirit of mammon attaches itself to our money and influences people to trust it instead of God. There's a, there's a pastor that I follow, great guy, I love his teaching, his name's Jimmy Evans. Uh, he was at our uh, church we were at out in uh, Texas and he said this about mammon. He said, mammon promises us those things that only God can give, security, significance, identity, independence, power, freedom. Mammon tells us that it can insulate us from life's problems and that money is the answer to every situation. A uh, good way to think of it, Mammon says this, buy and sell. God says sow and reap. Mammon says cheat and steal. God says give and receive. Spirit of Mammon says I'm gonna be your provider, money. That's what you really need. 
The spirit of God says, no, I am your provider. The Lord alone is your provider. The spirit of mammon, money is a means for me to enjoy, to buy stuff that makes me happy. God wants me to be happy. That's the spirit of mammon, right? Spirit of God says, money is a tool for me to steward. Spirit of mammon says, build a name for yourself, right? Tower of Babel. Build, we're going to build a name for ourselves. We're going to make our names great. Spirit of God says, no, make my name great and everything that you have needed would be added unto you. And mammon is cloaked in greed. What is greed? With greed, enough is never enough. When any time in our lives, if we're ever greedy, it's like enough, it's, it's, it's never enough. And don't get me wrong, mammon is not money. Mammon is the spirit that attaches itself to our money. Okay, so mammon's different than money. Money is not inherently evil. Let me say that as well. You can do a lot of great things with money. You can do a lot of bad things with money, okay? I had a, if I had a marker up here, I could take that marker and I could draw something to make it look beautiful or I could take it and I could put a mustache on every woman in here, right? You know? <laughs> you can do good things or bad things with it. First Timothy 6.10 is probably one of the most, quiz, most misquoted um, verses uh, in the Bible on money. It's this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it doesn't say money's evil. Money's not evil. The spirit of mammon that attaches itself to money can do it. And one of mammon's biggest tricks is just getting us to try to trust money rather than trusting God. But a generous spirit defeats the spirit of mammon. That's why for us, it's so important that we reiterate our core value as a church is generosity. And there's two types of people that deal with the spirit of mammon. If, if, you're, if you're here today and you've dealt with the spirit of mammon or you're dealing with the spirit of mammon, I know two things right here. You're, it's either one of two. Either you don't know what the Bible says about money or you know what it says, you just don't obey it. So if somebody is overtaken by that spirit of mammon that causes fear, and we got to hold on to every, oh my gosh, the recession's coming. What am I going to do? If you're afraid about what's going on in the world, you're going to operate in a spirit of mammon. That's not the spirit that God has called you to. And if anything today, like my mission from the Holy Spirit is to cast out the spirit of mammon from this house and off of you, God doesn't want you living under that spirit, okay? He wants you to live under his spirit. So two types of people, you don't know what the Bible says or you're disobedient. You know what the Bible says, but you're just choosing not to obey it. And I just want to encourage you, don't listen to what a pastor says about money. Don't listen to what that podcast preacher says about money or the person on Instagram. You go yourself, do a search on your own, open your Bible and say, God, what does your word, what does the Bible say about money? I'm going to show you just a few scriptures today because I find a lot of people that get consumed, they just don't know what the scriptures say. So we just read 1 Timothy 6.10. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Well, what does this have to do with the spirit of mammon? The spirit of mammon tells you to buy things that you don't have money for so that you can get something that you're not just, you don't understand delayed gratification. That's the spirit of mammon. So we go into debt and buying stupid amounts of clothing or whatever else, and, and we can become the servant to that lender, right? And, and I'm talking as a guy that was in a lot of debt at one point. I remember one time coming to my wife and telling her, honey, Bad investments, bad choices, and we got 40 grand, we're upside down. And, and I'm choking out here, I'm tapping out, and I'm finally gonna tell you what's going on. That was a cold night in the Peterson house, by the way. I just made some stupid choices. And I had to eat a big piece of humble pie, right? And just tell my wife. So we came together, she forgave me, she was so heated. Thank God for good Christian women that spoke into my wife's life and <laughs> kept her from having me sleep on the couch that night. We slept in the same bed, but I think you could have driven a semi-truck between us, you know. <laughs> and we came back together and we're like, okay, how are we gonna do this? How do you eat an elephant, man? We're all this debt up to our eyeballs, one bite at a time. So we met with the financial counselor and they helped us kind of put one foot in front of the other. Then it wasn't my idea and it wasn't her idea, it was their idea. By the way, if you're counseling all the time financially with your spouse, I would encourage you, find somebody that has more money than you do. Your spouse has exactly as much money as you do. They think right here, you need somebody that's up here that can speak into your finances, right? And so you need to find those people, I encourage you that. 
So Proverbs 22, verse 7 reminds us, don't be a slave to the lender. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, right? Do you love money more than you love being obedient to God's word? It's a good question. Do I love money more than I love being obedient to God's word? I had one guy said, he goes, I'm not going to tithe to that church that I go to. And I'm like, why? He goes, well, I just don't know what they're doing with the money. I'm like, okay, well then ask some questions and find out. I just don't touch the church. I don't trust the church with your money, my money. And I'm like, so you trust the church with your soul, but you won't trust your pastor in the church with your money? I'm like, bro, you need to find a new church. <laughs> like, you know, and you need to read the Bible, you know? I love this quote. It's from a guy that I follow, Mark Batterson. Great, great pastor, great leader. Um, great author. He said, if you're faithful now in the little things, God will begin doing big things as if they were little. If you're faithful in the little things right now, you find yourself being faithful in the little things, then suddenly, boom, big things just start happening. So again, key thought number one, Jesus' people experience supernatural provision for the purpose of the Great Commission. Key thought number two, Jesus' people focus on being faithful stewards, not successful owners. I'm going to have the band join me up front today as we land the plane here. I had a guy that asked me last week, he said, do you think a recession's looming? And if so, what do you think I should do? He doesn't go to our, our church. He goes to a different church in Orange County. And I was talking to him and I said, man, that's a great question. I said, I would tell you, I said, be faithful with the tithe, pray and ask God where you should sow seed, and then ask the Holy Spirit for unique ideas, creativity. You know, I talked to him about what he did for his job and I'm like, I bet there's an opportunity there that maybe somebody's not seeing. And I really believe that the Holy, that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through visions and dreams. That's kind of the language of the Holy Spirit. And so I just said, I'd encourage you to lean. I mean, you, you do this type of work. Ask God for a unique idea in that line of work and just see what he would do. And I just, I, I didn't give him just an opinion. Actually, it's based on scriptures. Malachi 3.10, right? We've heard this before. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the whole tithe? It's actually the whole 10%. Heard a pastor say one time, maybe just start at 1% if you're comfortable with that, and then as you grow, then you grow to 2% or 5%. And that sounds really nice. It's just not scriptural. <laughs> when, the, when the Lord says bring the whole tithe, he doesn't mean half a tithe or a percentage of the tithe. He says, no, bring the whole tithe, the first 10%. When we give God our first and the best, and our best, it's amazing what he does. And he says in verse 11, when you do this, I'm going to prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your field will not drop and the fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. This is, a, this, this is a promise you can hold on to if you're battling fear about something going on in the world. Lord, this is what your word says. I'm going to hold true, true to your word. And then I told him about sowing seed, Genesis 26, 12, right? There's a famine in the land, and Isaac, he's come to his end, and he's like, you know what? There's no rain. The soil is lame. It's dry. I don't know how this is going to work, but God, I'm going to pray and believe that as I sow this seed in this land, that it's going to bear fruit. And that's, that year, the same year, he reaped a hundredfold, a hundredfold. What could God do with a seed that he calls you to sow? In closing, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to give, if you got your notes, you can take out and begin to write. I'm going to give you 153 reasons to believe that you have everything you need of. 153. <laughs> People are going like, oh, 150. <laughs> I thought we were closing, Jeff. 153 reasons. John chapter 21. I'm going to jump down a few verses here for the guys in the back. Verse 3. The disciples are ending, they're waiting. Jesus hasn't been around them for a little bit. This is before Jesus goes to heaven. Verse three, Peter says, I'm going fishing. So they all go out fishing. Verse four, at dawn, Jesus is standing on the beach, but his disciples don't know him, can't see him. He calls out and he says, fellows, guys, what's up? Have you guys caught any fish? No, they replied. Kind of sounds like the story that we watched earlier, right? Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you're gonna get some. So they did and they couldn't haul it in the net because there was so many fish. God's favor's on the right side, right? Ecclesiastes 10, the heart of the wise inclines to the right. Matthew 25, 33, Jesus said in the last days, I'm gonna separate the sheep from the goats. The goats go on the left, the sheep, my sheep come on my right side. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The right side is blessing, favor, honor, authority, etc., etc., etc. 
So Peter jumps in the water. He comes rushing ashore. It's Jesus, and Jesus talked to him. Verse 10, he says, go bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And now here it is, 153 reasons. So verse 11, Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there was 153 large fish. Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples. In their time, in their day and age, the rabbis would teach that community the Torah. They would go through the Torah once every three and a half years. And in doing so, it was, it was, the, it was the recipe to give them the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then after three and a half years, they'd start all over again. And now they wouldn't just teach one book by book. They actually took time and they broke it out into key sections to make sure that those sections really de- like drove home the point. This is over three and a half years. So they had this section, section one, section two, section 70, section 90, section 100. Guess how many sections they had? 153. They had 153 sections that they would teach to give you everything that you need to do all that I've called you to do as the children of God, now go. So Jesus spends three and a half years with his disciples and the last catch that they get is fish. It's 153 fish. In other words, he's telling them, I've given you everything that you have need of. Whatever's in your hand is more than enough to sow what's on God's heart. Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have, and I'll multiply what you do have as your faithful stewards of all that you've been given. Amen? So I'm going to have a stand and pray, and I just want to pray for you today. And if you've dealt with the spirit of mammon, I'm going to pray for you. If you've dealt with fear, what's going on in the world, I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to cast that out. It is a spirit. It's not a reality. Just lift your hands to the Lord this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're the great provider. God, I thank you in the name of Jesus that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. And right now, in the power and the authority of the mighty name of Jesus, I cast out that spirit of mammon. We will not make decisions based on what the world says. We're going to make decisions based on what the word of God says. In Jesus' name, we command that spirit of fear out and off of us right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you, Father, that you've called and chosen, you've set apart, you've equipped, you've given us everything that we have need of for this time and space and place that you've placed us on this planet to do all that you've called us to do. So in the name of Jesus, God, I pray a release right now. Pray that spirit go. And Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, help us to walk in obedience. If there's any areas of our life where we've been foolish or disobedient with our finances, God, we yield to you. Would you show us that? Show us those areas, God. And Lord, if there's any area where we need to sow seed, I pray, Father, that you would show us where to sow seed. And I pray that there would be a harvest. It'd be a harvest for the people in whose lives we sow that seed into. And God, we we live open-handed. We live generously. We hold on to nothing as our own. God, help us to be good stewards. And Lord, rebuke us when we're focused on trying to be an owner. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.